As has been stated, we're very happy for your presence here, especially those that are not normally with us. We give you a special invitation to come and be with us at every opportunity. I want to remind us all that as we participate in the worship this morning, we will get out of it what we put into it. And I want to encourage us to offer our very best to God so that we can receive the very best back from Him. We just came back from Belize. Wanted to mention that things are progressing very well in Belize. We had a very uh, productive and safe trip. We had seven different baptisms while we were there. Probably made about 40 different visits over the time we were there with church families and prospects. And we see growth numerically happening in our four congregations in Belize and spiritual growth as well. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity to help with that evangelistic effort. We appreciate your prayers on behalf of that work and specifically those that were praying that we would have a safe trip and uh, the Lord blessed us in all of those different ways. This morning we want to read in Genesis chapter 3 a few verses to introduce the lesson of the morning. I'll have that text on the board here. Beginning in verse 6, we find that man and woman took of the fruit, they disobeyed God and fell into sin. And as we read the rest of chapter 3, we see a lot of the consequences of that sin that we still deal with today. Verse 7 says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said unto him, Where are you? So he said, I have heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is a summary of the fall of man. In this narrative, we see in verse 9 that God came looking for Adam and Eve, and He asked the question, Where are you? That's the subject of our talk this morning. When God came and asked this question, He was not questioning them about their physical location, but God was raising this question to emphasize their state or their condition before God spiritually. Adam and Eve thought that they could hide from God. This was very foolish. God is everywhere simultaneously. He reads our heart. He knows our deeds. He knows our thoughts. And He knew what had happened with Adam and Eve, but they felt like they could hide from Him and not admit what they had done. And when they were confronted with that, of course, we remember that Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed Satan. They tried to pass their responsibility of being obedient to God. 
And soon thereafter, they were put out of the garden. Satan was cursed. Man and woman were given their role from that point forward after sinning. And as I said, it has affected every one of us from that time forward. I want to use this diagram developed by Brother Pat Mannon. This will be a review for some. For some, it will be new material. But I believe that there's something in this lesson for each and every person. Every person that is alive on the earth today is found in one of these four categories. And as Christians, we need a good working knowledge of this information so we can make proper decisions ourselves to be right with God and so we can lead others in the path to be closer to God so that we all might honor God and be blessed through our obedience to Him. We do not want to make the mistake that Adam and Eve made to break God's command and to be put away from God, separated from Him without the ability to come back and renew our relationship with our God. As we look around the assembly this morning, we're going to see that there are some who are innocent. This is the little ones among us, those whose minds have not developed yet to the point that they can discern right and wrong. They are not saved, they're not lost, they're simply safe. And we see that our children are born in this state of innocence. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, the prophet stated, The soul who sins shall die, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. We have not inherited sin from Adam or any of our forefathers. As we said, Adam and Eve's action in the garden set a process forward where we all certainly sin, but we do not inherit other sin. We are responsible individually for the choices that we make. As children, we do not have the mentality to be able to understand right and wrong. And whatever we do, whether it be right or wrong, it's done in a way that the, the child is not held accountable until they are able to understand that. In Psalms 58, verse 3, we find David's words here, "...the wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies." Those that want to advocate the inheriting of sin from our forefathers will use this verse and try to point out that David said we're born in sin. But if we analyze this verse closely, we're going to see that we are born in innocence and a short time later in the scheme of our whole life, we go astray and we tell a lie. The part that puts us at odds with God is when we go astray. We're innocent when we're born, but as we grow older, probably the first thing that many children do is tell a lie. Telling a lie is against God's commandments. And so when we break that by telling a lie, then we are placed in a position at odds with God. Just as Adam and Eve sinned and their relationship was broken with God. By our own will and our own actions, we separate ourselves from our Creator. 
So eventually then we will commit sin, but when we're born, we're in innocence. We read the words of Christ in Matthew 19 and verse number 14, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. You know, one of the saddest things that we face in life is when a child passes away. It seems so unfair, but we know we live in a broken world and that that Satan is responsible for the things that cause the innocent to suffer. And when a child passes away, we need to be comforted in our understanding that they are going to be with God. They're safe. As Christ described those who would be a part of the kingdom of heaven, He said that we, would, we must be like little children. So how could we think that little children were condemned at the point that they were born? They are innocent. We need to return to that same innocence by obeying the gospel and being in compliance with the will of God if we plan to have a part in the kingdom of heaven. There is a doorway into heaven when children die innocent. We read in 1 John 3, verse number 4, however, that there is another door open, and that door opening is into this state of sin. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. This is the part we need to be very clear on, that of our own will, of our own choice, we choose to transgress God's commandments. And that puts us in a place of lawlessness. That is this place of separation. We call it a place of alien sin because we are, in fact, a foreigner to God. We read in Romans 7, verse 9, Paul's statement, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. This is stated in, in kind of a different way, in different words than that we would commonly use. But Paul is saying that until he was able to understand God's law, that he was alive. But when he came to an understanding of God's law, and he made the choice to transgress the law, then he says that the commandment came Sin revived and he died. He was talking about the spiritual death, the same spiritual death that Adam and Eve found themselves in when they disobeyed God's commandment. When they fell to the temptation of Satan, Satan said, "Ye shall not surely die. He convinced them that temptation was pleasant to who they were as human beings, to their human nature, and so they fell to that temptation. And we see that that Paul is describing that same process here. The commandment came, sin revived, and Paul says, I died. This is a very dangerous situation to be in. Notice something, there's there's no doorway from here into heaven. The doorway goes, as long as we're innocent, innocent, but once we commit sin, we cannot enter heaven from here. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then we have a catalog of sin. 
He says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice he starts this passage by saying we will have no part with God, and he ends this passage in the same way. We will not inherit the kingdom of God. Many people feel like as long as they live a decent life and there's more good in their life than bad, that God will allow them to go to heaven after this life is over. But this is a misconception of what we are taught in God's Word. There's several catalogs of sin. There's another one in Galatians 5. We'll read this one that's found in Revelations chapter 21 and verse number 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Again, we have these things that God has condemned very clearly in His Word. As long as we are guilty of these sins, He says we will be sent to the lake of fire. He mentions liars here. That's what we talked about a few moments ago, that, that David said when we stray from God's path and we tell lies that we're separated from God, we might consider lying a very minimal mistake that we would make. But notice he lists everything from lying to murder. Probably the two extremes of what we would say sin is, and a lot of things in between. None of these lists are a complete list of every sin, because there's things we are condemned if we commit. There are things wherein we're condemned if we know to do good, and we don't do those things. But God's Word is replete with all of that information. We know what His commandments are because we go to God's Word. And when we disobey those commandments, even if it's one, that separates us from God and puts us in this state of sin. John described those who will not enter heaven or spoke about that in Revelations 21 where we just read. And we read in addition in John 3 verses 1 through 7 about how Christ says that we are able to avoid this condemnation, how we're able to avoid this lake of fire. He was talking to a Pharisee here named Nicodemus. In this situation, he, Nicodemus came and acknowledged who Christ was. And then he said, uh, what, No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered in verse 3, and He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. So as we look into these verses and consider our diagram, in innocence, we are born and then we fall into sin. We have to be born again. And Christ is not saying that we go back Notice the error out of innocence is only one way. So we can't go back to our state of innocence once we commit sin before God. Nicodemus was confused. He said in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we're reading all of these statements. Certain people cannot enter the kingdom of God, and we're going to find that there are certain people who can enter the kingdom of God. And what we have to do is realize what it takes to go out of this state of sin and to be found right in God's sight. This is the redemptive plan of God that He put forth and compiled before this earth was ever created. To send His Son to die on the cross. Taking our sin and make it pos- making it possible for us to obey the gospel. And through that gospel, to be born again of water. That's the water of baptism and to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit teaches us what we're to do through God's Word. And we have a gift of the Spirit. Once we obey the gospel, we can come back and be right with God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And so there is an open door from where we're separated because of our sin, whereby we obey the gospel and we are placed within the church. Galatians 3 verse 27 says that we're baptized into Christ. We leave that old man as we are are baptized, we go down in the water, we meet the blood of Christ, our sin is washed away, and we arise to walk in newness of life. Added to this church that, that Christ established. Acts 2 verse 41, Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Down in verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we can come into the Lord's church. The Lord adds us to His church once we obey the commandments that He's given us. Once we submit to the gospel. We hear the Word of God. We have that information. We put it in our heart. From our heart we repent. We confess. We're baptized, and that brings us to the church. If we've reached a point of sin in our life, this is the only way that we can address that sin and come back to God. If we're faithful in this church of our Lord being called out of the world, notice there's no door from here to eternal damnation. I love that thought that God has instituted the church, and within that church, we are safe. We are free, as as Christ stated in John 8, verse 32. We have everything that we need. God supplies that. We still live in this life. We still have challenges and problems. But within the church, within that family, we have everything we need to walk down up this path and to reach eternal life. Revelations 2, verse number 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. What a consolation, what a comfort to know that God has made this possible for us to be surrounded with others of God's people 
and for us to have everything that we need to nurture our life spiritually so that we can grow and mature and one day we can spend eternity in heaven with God. In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25, we have this reading, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. There we have a reference to baptism again, being washed of water by the Word of God, obeying the gospel. In that way, we're brought into the church. Verse 27, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. There's a purpose for all of us. And that purpose is to fear God and keep His commandments. And when we do that, we embrace God, we fulfill the purpose of honoring Him in our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, in our manner of life. And when we do that, we become a part of this spotless church. This is the spotless bride of Christ that will be returned back to God when Christ comes again. And it's this church that will enjoy eternity in heaven with God. But we might notice here that the doorway to heaven is open, but there's an, another doorway that's open to those that are in the church. Those that would return unto sin, that would bring a spot or, ble- a spot or blemish on the church, those who turn their back on the salvation that God has offered them and they go back into their lives of sin, the Bible teaches us that Christians can fall away from God. We read in Galatians 5, verses 1 to 4, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. We spoke about the freedom when we embrace the truth of God and obey Him. He says we need to stand fast in that. If it was impossible to fall away once we obeyed the gospel and became a part of God's family, why would we have admonition after admonition throughout the New Testament that we have to be aware, that we have to stand fast, that we have to listen and review, be reminded so that we do not grow lax and find ourselves back in a terrible state with regard to our relationship with God. He says in verse 2, I indeed, indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace." People advocate that there's no way to fall away from God once we make a decision to become a disciple of His. But there is a doorway open, and if we depart from the Lord and go back into sin, we are seeking some other means of justification as the old law or some other false religion, then we are separated from God and we become an erring Christian. Some will fall away and they will never repent. 
We read about that in Scripture, and we read many warnings against those who are members of the church going back into the world. Let's look first to Hebrews 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. There's probably not any place more serious before God than if we have obeyed God, we've tasted that blessing from God, and then we choose to walk away from that. In Hebrews chapter 10, it speaks once again, warning those in the church. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many times have we heard verse 25 to encourage that we make a decision to be a part of the assembly of the church, not to forsake that. But many times we stop right there and we don't get the complete context of this warning because he continues. He says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Again, very, very serious. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose we will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Not only would I say this morning, submit to you that it is possible to, to walk away from God, I would say to you that this is the most negative place that we can be in our relationship with God. Because we have tasted what it means to have a clear conscience. We have tasted what it means to be free from our guilt. We've tasted what it means to receive the blessings of being a part of God's family. And then willful sin takes us away from that back to an entanglement in the world. First Peter chapter 2, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 22. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. We're not talking about someone that stumbles and makes a mistake and gets back up and keeps seeking after God. That's not what's under discussion here. Notice this word entangled. It means that we step away from a life working to be all that God wants us to be, and we decide that we want to go back and partake of the pleasures of this world. And those pleasures 
will cause a cycle to start in our life. And that cycle will lead us further and further away from God, and we will be entangled. And we can reach a point of no return. That's what we just read about in Hebrews chapter 10. This is how dangerous it is when we ignore what God has asked us to do and do what we want to do. When we begin to break His commandments, when we minimize what He's asked us to be as His children, we need to always remember when we step away from Him that we are in a place of grave danger. Because if our heart cannot come to a point of repentance, then we will not be able to get back in, in the right relationship with God. Verse 21, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Very, very unpleasant comparisons that are made here to a Christian who turns back to a life of sin. So there is a doorway from fallen into condemnation. And if we fail to repent, that's exactly where we will spend our eternity. But you will notice there is a two-way door that allows those who are away from God to go back. This is the only two-way arrow that's anywhere on this diagram. And this comes about when we are able to humble ourselves to repent of a life of entanglement of sin, to pray God for forgiveness, and to return back to a service of our Father in heaven. We want to review Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. We're not going to take time to read this, this whole story, but we want to remind you about what happened here. Philip went to Samaria. He began to perform miracles. The people gave him attention because he was able to perform these miracles. And the Bible tells us that Philip taught the gospel. He taught them about Christ. He ran into a sorcerer who had been bewitching the people. He had the people convinced that he was somebody great, that he had a power that no one else had. But the reality was, it was all smoke and mirrors. And when Simon heard the gospel preached, the Bible tells us that he also responded to the gospel. Verse 13, Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. So there were several converts who were taken out of their alien sin. They obeyed the gospel. They were brought into the church. And the Bible says here that, that Simon believed and he was baptized. Remember, that's what Christ said in Matthew chapter 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So we know that Simon took the steps and he was saved and he was placed within the church. But as we continue to read here, the apostles were called, who were the only ones that could pass forward these gifts. They came there to pass forward some gifts to the, to the people who had been converted so that they continue, could continue to evangelize and bring people to the church. And the Bible tells us that when Simon saw that they were able to pass this forward, that he 
his heart developed a problem. He offered them money, verse 18, so that he might also be able to lay hands and pass these gifts forward. But notice in verse 20, Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. In verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. You see, Simon had went back to his former practices. He'd escaped the pollution of the world through a knowledge that Philip delivered unto him about Jesus Christ, but he was again entangled therein. What happened? He reverted back to his mind of covetousness, his mind of being seen as special, and he wanted this power to be that person. Rather than humbly serving God, he returned back to his sins of his past life. Peter tells him, your money's going to perish with you. This man had fallen. Is God going to save him anyway? Paris, uh, Peter said, you're going to perish. He'd lost his standing with God. So Peter told him, repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness. Pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So you see, once we come into the family of God, we fall away, we're entangled back in sin, then there's a process that we can regain our standing with God. We are not to go back and be baptized again. That's what put us into the family of God. And even when we sin and are entangled in the world, we are a fallen member of God's family. The same blood that washed us clean in baptism will wash us clean if we truly repent and come back to God, we confess our sin, and we pray to God for forgiveness. And you'll notice that Simon made that change in his heart because he said to Peter, pray for me. Peter was very blunt with Simon about what had happened to him. He pulled him out of the fire in one way of speaking because he told him, you're on, you've turned away from God, you're on the wrong path, and you need to turn back to God. As Christians, we need the same admonition. When we find ourselves more engaged in the world than we are in being plugged in at church and doing the will of God, we need to make the right evaluation. As Solomon said, we must put away, confess, and forsake, or forsake and confess. This is God's way for us to address our sin. If we fail in our ability to do that, then we see that we will be headed to eternal damnation. As we stated earlier, we're all in one of these four categories. Two of these categories lead to a home in heaven. Two of these categories lead to the lake of fire. So let's think about that lake of fire. Reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 to 9, and to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to look here and to notice 
that there's two categories of people that are going to be under the vengeance of God when Christ returns again. It's those who do not know God. This would prompt us to be evangelistic, wouldn't it? To make sure that everyone around us, as we have opportunity, knows about God. Because those who do not know about God are going to be under the vengeance of God and sent to this lake of fire. But also, notice he says, those who do not obey the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ embodied in those steps that we've already mentioned, culminated by baptism. If we haven't done that, if we haven't done it in the right way, then when Christ comes again, our eternal destination is that of hell. Verse 9, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. We're going to be noticing in these passages that we're reading, what is the time frame? How long is this going to last? No time frame because it's going to be everlasting punishment in the lake of fire. Revelations 20, 14 and 15, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So if our name is not written in the book of life, your name or my name, then we will be cast in the lake of fire. Notice something about this illustration. There, there is no doorway out of this place. There's only the doorways into it by those that are separated from God. In Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Never a escape from this eternal damnation for those who die separated from our Creator of heaven. There's simply no rest. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Revelations 14, verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. An utterly terrible thing, an utterly horrible place to end up, and not for seconds or minutes or hours or days, not for months or years or decades or centuries, but forever and forever. Heaven is the alternative when we seek out God and when we follow God. Christ said there will be few who reach heaven. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, He talked about a broad way in a narrow way. And he said, going down the broad way, many are going to follow that path, but this singular path, this straight way, or narrow, is hard to find. And he said, few there's going to be that find it. Right now, we have about 8 billion people 
on this earth. As you think about that number, it's an astounding number. That's 12 zeros. Christ said the majority of those people are going to travel the broad way and they're going to pass away and they're not going to be right with God. That should get our attention. That should cause us to, first of all, want to be very sure that we're on the right path. But secondly, we should have compassion for all of the people that do not know about Christ and what we can do to avoid this terrible place of eternal damnation. Consider in addition to the 8 billion people, everyone that's already lived and died through the centuries, and everybody yet to be born. There's not going to be very many people in heaven. But it's our goal that every single person under the sound of my voice will be warned and they'll take these things serious that we're talking about and you'll make right decisions so that you will be a part of that number. In Revelations 22 and verse number 14, the Bible says, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. If there's very few that's going to find the right path, then it stands to reason that there's very few that are going to find God's commandments, to learn them to a point that they can understand them. And even at that point, there's going to be even fewer that are going to obey. Some read and understand, and they choose to disobey. This again, this should be a warning to us that we need to be going to God's Word, we need to be studying it, we need to be finding God's will, because the criteria is when we obey His commandments. It's not if we say, Lord, Lord, it's not going to allow us to enter heaven, Matthew, 13 verse, or Matthew 7, verse 21. But those that obey the will of the Father, which is in heaven. Here is what we can expect in that eternal place of rest. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. This is our Savior. This is the one that loved us enough to die for us. And He makes us a promise. He said, I, I'm going on. I'm at the right hand of the Father presently. I'm the King of my kingdom and I'm ruling over my kingdom. And there's a period of time that people have to get ready and prepare for my second coming. What I'm doing to prepare is building those rooms in heaven. For every person that's faithful to me, that has walked with me, and has sought me, when I come again, I'm going to take them to these mansions in heaven. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What a wonderful promise. What a blessing to think about this compared to eternal damnation. Notice something about heaven. There's no way out. 
Just like damnation, if our eternal destiny is in heaven, we're going to be there eternally. Satan can't touch anyone that's in heaven anymore. Where's Satan? We've read. Satan and his angels are in torment. Think about living in a place where there's no temptation any longer. We have to fight every day because Satan is always there to try to lead us away from God. And at times he's successful and we fall to temptation. That grieves us when we do that. And we want to repent and we want to turn back to God. And we can have a clear conscience, but it's difficult to move forward sometimes with the decisions and the mistakes that we make. Not going to be an issue in heaven. The people are going to be there forever and ever, and Satan will have no power at all to those that are spending eternity in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We can read in God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what a victory we're going to have over death at the point of our resurrection. All of the aches and pains of this physical body, the problems that we have with illness, with accident, all of the suffering that we go through because we're in this human body, not going to be an issue in heaven. We're all going to be given an eternal body. A body that's not subject to pain. A body that will not hurt any longer. An eternal body in bliss in heaven forever and ever. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death no sorrow nor crying, there shall be no more pain for the former things are passed away. When's the last time that you shed a tear? When's the last time that your heart ached so terribly that you couldn't, you didn't think you'd be able to stand it? Someone close to you passed away. Something bad happened. Someone was in an accident. They're, they're fighting for life. The jury's out. We don't know if they're going to live or die. Things so serious in this life that we hurt all over. It's not a physical hurt. It's a mental, compassionate hurt for our fellow man. We've all been there from time to time. We have to work through those times by trusting in God. Romans 12 verse 15 says to rejoice with those that rejoice, to weep with those that weep. We have such a blessing within the church to have the fellowship and the family to get through these kinds of problems. That is only a very small glimpse of how it's going to be in heaven. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more of these things that are listed here that cause tears. Death, sorrow, crying, pain. Every one of these things are going to be taken away. That's the reward, the crown of life that we have been promised if we remain faithful unto God. 
It's worth it all. Paul talked about the problems that he had. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Ten or fifteen verses of all the things that he went through and that he suffered in this life. Things that caused pain. Things that caused sorrow. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I've shed tears night and day because I'm worried about your doctrine. That you'll drift away from the true doctrine of God and you'll lose your reward in heaven. But you know, at the end of all that, Paul said, I consider that as rubbish compared to the things that we will be rewarded in that heavenly home one day. I hope we can see that this morning. I hope it's very obvious to us that we need to work to be a part of those few that will be given a home in heaven. This morning, as adults, as teenagers, those that know the difference between right and wrong, we're in one of three places. We're in our sin because we've never obeyed the gospel. We've obeyed the gospel. We've come into the church. We're plugged in. We're working to continue our sanctification. Maybe there's someone here this morning that has, was once a part of the church, but you walked away from it, and you need to renew your commitment to God. It's very clear from this diagram where we need to be if we want to receive the blessings that, that God have, has us for an eternity. I hope that you will be honest with yourself. I hope you'll be with honest, honest with the Scriptures. And as you evaluate where you are, you will take proper measures to be right in the sight of God. Are you sure? Peter said, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. We want you to be sure. If you're not right with God this morning, we offer you an invitation. We ask those who would like to obey the gospel to come forward. If there are those that are away from God and would like to have the prayers of the church, we ask one of either class to come forward as we stand and sing together.